Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Usually what I see is the upside of their nose is because they have a laptop that they're talking into and it's kind of angled up. Today's guest got some kind of freaking setup over here. He's like leaning back. The mic is like right on point. Mo, this is impressive. It kind of tells me something about the way that you live, that you would even take the time to make sure that the shot was centered properly. Is this you? Am I, am I like reading too much into this? You know, there's a really good book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. And it's mm -hmm. it's really about if you watch the details, then the score takes care of itself. So the, the details matter. And so the details, even even though you know this is an audio podcast, you took care of the details. Give me another details of life that you pay attention to or business that most people wouldn't pay attention to. And I'll introduce you in a moment, but I've got to just get a little bit more on this. I'm obsessed with nutrition and I do not consume, I do not put anything into my body unless I understand the nutritional profile of it. You know, so I have to know exactly the, the structure of that food or beverage that goes in my body. Man, you are a person who, care, care, who takes care of the details to a degree that is unusual. You quit high school, which is, I imagine that lack of like perfection must have impacted you. I want to find out about that. You then, from what I understand, went on to create a business that did over $20 million in sales. You then created a software company where you lost a lot of that money. And now you're back with something called Acadium. And what Acadium does is it allows people to hire an apprentice, right? So if I wanted to have somebody to come and work for me before hiring them from a regular job board, I can go and look for an apprentice. The apprentice might be a producer, work with me for what, 10 hours a week for three months. If they, they learn the job and maybe they decide they don't wanna work for me, or maybe they learn the job and I learn to like them and we decide that this should be an ongoing thing and I could pay yeah. and hire them full-time. That's the way Acadium works, am I right? Yeah, basically, you know, you know, small business owners wear a lot of hats and they're cash constrained. They don't have a lot of money and they have a lot of work to do. And Acadium allows them to find affordable marketing help from a student in training. So instead of paying that student cash, they provide mentorship in a structured way, which we regulate in our marketplace. So they're able to get access to affordable help it's 10 hours a week for three months. At the end of that, they can either hire the person which they've just vetted, or they can continue finding another apprentice until they do find a great hire that they want to bring on. So it's a way to find affordable help in digital marketing for businesses that are cash constrained and you know wear a lot of hats. I didn't realize it was just digital marketing. And so can I just keep hiring an apprentice, keep teaching them my my work and never hire a full-time person because I either don't want to or because I don't have the money for it? Absolutely. We vet all businesses in Acadium for mentorship. We make sure that they are here for the right reasons and that they're able to provide this guidance and feedback to their apprentice. And by all means, if you want to mentor and train multiple apprentices, do it indefinitely. You change people's lives when you do that. I had no idea. All right. Mo, whose voice you just heard is Mo Abbas. He is the founder of Acadium. I invited him here to talk about all his past businesses and more specifically this one, how it got off the ground. I love the model. It's such an it's it's such a natural. It's something that I've thought for a while we should do on Mixergy. People have asked me for job boards over the years. And I thought, well, I don't want to do a job board and just get someone a job, but how do we make it a little more special? People come in to learn from the entrepreneur. Imagine if they could go and work for the entrepreneur here. So anyway, mm -hmm. I've thought about this model a lot. I'm impressed by how far you've come with it and what you were able to build at Acadium. I invited you here to find out more about it and we could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, anyone out there who needs a website hosted should go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. They'll give you a great price at that URL. And the second, if you're doing email marketing, you've got to find out about Send in Blue, and I'll let you use it for free if you go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Mo, revenue-wise, where are you guys now? Give us a sense of how big the business is. We're a little under 2 million in revenue. And profitable? Very close to profitable. Okay. Outside funding in this business or is it all bootstrapped? We've raised a million from some fantastic angels like Ryan Hoover and his co-founder wow. Adres at Product Hunt. Uh, just some, you know, Eric Blatchford, who is the CEO of Expedia. So we've raised a small angel round, but mm -hmm. mostly bootstrapped. Andreas really likes uh, remote companies. Is this marketing help for remote companies? Is that the thing? 
I mean, apprenticeships in our marketplace are 100% remote. And, you know, one of the key things we do is we make job training for apprentices accessible. And part of that is it's remote. So anyone with an internet connection can get access to our marketplace. I, I really want to know about the how you got here, but I'm fascinated by this model. How do you make sure that the companies actually train the the apprentice? That is a great question. So, I mean, early on, our vetting was was pretty garbage. And what happened was we ended up with a poor community and we realized that the quality of our community is extremely important. We are a mission-driven, community-focused company. And we started vetting mentors. So they actually have to go through an onboarding call with a sales rep. And we actually reject quite a few few businesses if they're not ready to provide mentorship, if they don't have a clear work they want their apprentice to get done, uh, if they don't have a brand that is ready to be marketed, that it is marketing, if they don't have basic knowledge in the help they're looking for, we will not take their money and tell them they should go pay someone for help. In our case, we would make sure that they provide mentorship for help. Mo, what you're trying to do is make sure that they have a process in place so that they could teach it to the apprentice. And then the apprentice's job is to use that process and improve it. And that's how they both benefit. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of businesses don't have it yet in place, but they're very close to, or they will set it up in place. And usually they do this with the first apprentice and the second apprentice is a lot. The, the ramp up is much quicker and easier. And how do you charge? We it's totally free for our candidates. You know, accessibility is a big thing, um, and we can touch on our mission in, in a bit. We charge our mentors or businesses in this case an access fee to our marketplace where they have unlimited access. They can get one or multiple apprentices at a time, and it's three ninety nine a quarter or twelve hundred dollars for the entire year. Just three hundred ninety nine dollars for three it's months crazy. of an apprentice. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It does. It does make a lot of sense. I especially like the fact that I, I don't know how I feel about not paying the apprentice. I feel like they should get paid, but we can I, touch on that too, actually. What do you think? Well, before we get into that, what, what I do like though, is I've found that when you teach, you learn again, when you teach, you question what you're doing and you become aware of it in a way that you don't, when you're just doing it. And then when someone else learns it, you start to see that there's more ideas coming back at you than you would have thought of on your own. That that seems like a huge upside. You nailed it. You know, it, it creates what's called, they would call it a forcing function, where in the act of teaching your apprentice, it helps you shed light on areas of your business that are extremely important, but you just haven't had time to put the thought through. And then they, the apprentice does the heavy lifting for you, but it does allow you to better understand your business and better manage your business. And a lot of these small business owners haven't worked with too many employees in the past. So it allows them to become better managers as well. All right. What about the money part? Shouldn't somebody get paid for doing the work? They can. We just recently rolled out... Uh, the ability for our apprentices who are ready for paid work to label themselves as freelancers, where they could get paid for the help they provide. Okay. All right. Makes sense. And the reason that you came up with this is because you were running a business before bump in where your, your expenses were high. And from what I understand, you were using interns. Am I right? To grow the business. Talk about that. Well, you know what? What was that business? What was Bumpin? Bumpin was a location-based social network. Um, it did quite well in Europe. We were one of the top social networking apps in Moldova, but ultimately it wasn't really a product market fit, nor was it really a founder market fit. And Wait, let's talk about product market fit. Why yeah. not? These things have come up so much, right? Why is it that they don't work? It makes so much sense that if I'm out at a club, out at a bar, out at a, like a hotel lobby, even if I want to meet people, I'd like to be able to do it, but it's, but no one's been able to make that work. Yeah. It's very challenging. Although there's ways you could hack around 
bit using Instagram, but it just wasn't enough of a daily use case. And social media mm. is should you know you look at TikTok, like how many hours a day does a TikTok right. user spend, or Clubhouse, or Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram? You need to make sure that you're tapping into a core human need and behavior to make a social network work. And it's extremely competitive. You need to raise a lot of capital. Uh, you know, it's 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 not an easy business to scale up. How did you get so many users? We would use influencers actually. So we were one of the early companies to use influencer marketing where it was much more affordable at the time than it is today. So it's how did you use influencers? Was it come see me at this place and then we'll get to connect there or what? No. Uh, so if you're talking influencer marketing, the best place is YouTube. So we found out that, you know, because YouTube, you command your audience's full attention and your entire audience will see every video that a influencer releases, unlike Instagram, which has a selective feed and very low attention span. So we chose YouTube to focus on influencers and they would create videos and they would use the Bumpin app and uh, their followers were, were interested in those influencers and, and in the app and they would also use it. And that's how we got started. All right. And so then tell me about the interns. How did you find interns? How did you train them? How was that experience working for you? I mean, I, I've been doing this even before Bumpin, you know, back when in, in, in my first significant business, Ottawa General Contractors, we didn't have any money. We need to grow the business. So we'd work with these interns and we would, they were unpaid interns and we would train them. And a quarter of our staff started as unpaid as interns. interns. It was, you would go to local universities in Ottawa and tell them that you've got positions. What positions were you making available? Uh, marketing, <laughs> okay. yes. project management, design, architectural technologists. It was a really big pain in the ass, frankly. It was a really difficult process. We, we did it because, you know, we figured it out and it was, we didn't really have much of a What's choice. What's the pain in the ass about it? I mean, it, it's just, it was a lot of labor. It was just kind of weird having these conversations with people that, you know, about unpaid work and how many hours are going to work and you know, there wasn't really a clear exchange of value a lot of the times. Ah, uh, yeah. It, it okay. was pretty sketchy, frankly, early on. So, but it, <laughs> you mean you were pulling something off, but it was getting pulled off and it was working. By the way, it was working. Yeah, it was great. A lot of them, uh, it was life changing for them and it was valuable for us. And we did this for a very long time. You know, I'm still. There's, I still have people that I brought on 10 years ago that are still part of the organization. And they, they started, started out off. as interns and now they're yeah. working with you now at Acadium. They're working in the, in the construction organization. All right, let, let me pause for a second. Construction. Dude, you're one of the most polished people. Every hair in your beard seems like it's just perfectly, <laughs> perfectly manicured, right? Your teeth, you just smile. Perfect. What the hell were you doing in construction? How do you end up in construction? That's a great question. I ended up in construction because I had a friend who was managing a gym at the time. Okay. And he's like, he knew I was an entrepreneur, a bit of a hustler. And he's like, hey, Mo, I can get you this contract to renovate this gym. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. I wasn't making very much money at okay. the time. And terrible, terrible situation. That was one of the most challenging times of my life. You know, here I was, I was 19 years old renovating a commercial gym. I had no experience in construction. I never picked up a hammer in my life. Didn't have a trade network. Didn't even know how to read plans. Okay. And, I, and I was accountable for a half million dollar renovation, commercial renovation. Needless to say, it was very hard. And I got hustled by the owner who, you know, there's a reason why I got the contract because he wasn't going to pay. And uh, it was a big, big learning experience. I remember it was... You know, it was, I was by myself. It was like 2 a.m. My hands were bleeding from moving cinder blocks all day. And I was wearing a mask. It was all dusty. The place was dark. And I was like, what the hell am I doing here? And I just really wanted to quit, but I didn't quit. <laughs> because you needed the money? I, I'm just not a quitter, frankly. Okay. I, you know, for me, tenacity is a virtue. It's one of the seven virtues of Acadium, actually. And by not quitting, most of the great things in life come at the point 
after the point of when you want to quit, right? So I didn't quit. I persevered through that, eventually figured out a niche in residential, and then eventually did a million dollars at a Starbucks by myself in sales. A building a Starbucks? No, what do you mean? Yeah, no, I did say, like, I I started focusing on residential renovations instead of commercial. Yes. And then I sold a million dollars of renovations out of out of a Starbucks. Like oh, out office. of a Starbucks. You mean you're sitting in a Starbucks, people who need yeah. renovations for their house will come see I you. Had they find there, you yeah. and then you'd sell them. How'd they find yeah. you? Um I so I, I'm very one of my two of my core competencies are sales and marketing. So we were able to become one of the largest residential renovation companies in North America because we took advantage of online marketing before anyone else. I mean, this is a dinosaur industry, right? These are okay. a bunch of people that don't really know technology. And okay. I was young. I didn't know construction, but I knew technology and sales and marketing. Okay, and so this is 2007. What did you do for online marketing? Uh, SEO was a really big thing. Okay. You had a website, SEO. Do you remember some of the articles that you wrote that got you good customers? So we would actually have uh, a domain name was a key thing, right? It was called Ottawa General Contractors. So it was a direct hit on the keyword. Okay. And we had uh, a whole network of domain names, uh, you know, okay. Ottawa Kitchen Contractors, Ottawa Bathroom Contractors. Okay. And we would write a significant amount of articles as well. Actually, I used interns for part of this as well. Okay. And uh, we're just able to build a brand, frankly, that was much better than competitors. What about when you'd close a sale in Starbucks? What would you do to get someone who never met you before to feel comfortable with hiring you? Honestly, that's all relationship building. So that's that's just a matter of trust. Like they knew that I would do what I said I would do. How? And How does somebody know that about you? How do you communicate that? I feel like, frankly, I don't, not to harp too much on it, but the way you dress, right? The fact that you attend to your details, the the details in the room, the plants behind you gives me the sense that he's not going to cut corners, not likely. He's going to feel disgusted more than I am if something is off. I imagine that's part of it with you. Yeah. And, and your behavior, right? So like, for example, one of the things we did that would always generate a wow is we would respond to leads within an hour. And as you know, the longer it takes you to respond, the less likely you are to close. So, but this was something that was kind of very remarkable. And then our scopes of work had a great level of detail to them. And we were just, you know, we were young and intelligent in a in a, in an industry that was filled with people that were scarred and don't mm. really care. So yeah. it was just a tremendous advantage. You got the $20 million in sales. How much of that do you get to pocket? Um, it depends. When you're growing, you're reinvesting. So not a whole lot in a growth period. But traditionally in this kind of business, you're making about 10% to if you really are a mature company, like right now, you could make up to you know 15 if you're pushing it after 15% okay. net uh, net profit. Fair to say that you took a few million a couple of million dollars out of the business? Yeah, I had a lot of success in in that business. I had a lot then, of success in real estate. And then you invested well. into real estate. What type of real estate did you invest into? So I, I bought my <laughs> opportunistic buyer, right? So my first I bought two or three properties when back when no money down was a thing. Okay. And this was, I was this is back in my first start of the construction company too. And those worked out well. It gave me a, a bit of an opportunity to build a real estate portfolio. And then I would buy properties that I could improve, right? Because my trade network. And you know, I, I bought one property that I made a lot of money on, but man, was it ever a nightmare. It was just, it's not, it wasn't easy making money on that one. And a lot of stories around that one. Because it was what? Just a lot of maintenance, a lot of repair? Ah, there was a drug dealer in there <laughs> and he was running okay. ho- a pimp, like he was pimping through there. <laughs> and- you about to say running hose and then you held back because now you're in, like the, <laughs> you're in the hiring <laughs> business. All right. I get it. Yeah. All right. So then you had his car blown up in the building. He did? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody blew up his car. And I made a lot of money on that, by the way. How much money is there to make in a place that that attracts that kind of crowd? I made money money on that car blowing up because the insurance company quoted like 300K for repairs. And I'm a contractor and it cost me like next to nothing. Ah. 
it cost me like you know i don't know if i should disclose it was around 20 30k on got it all right so like, there you get two hundred thousand yeah. <laughs> dollars but still you're dealing with this type of stuff which is not a comfortable situation to be in all right i get where you are i get also I, my sense is you got into software with bumping because you said look this is this could get even bigger this is more of like a more modern company to be in i'm already in this digital space with seo I also feel like I've got one foot in the past. I want to be both feet in the future, right? And that's why bumping was so big. Yeah, I was the top in my field. There wasn't really much more you could do. You know, I won all the awards. I became one of the largest in North America, made a lot of cash. And, you know, I dedicate my life to impact. Like I'm a hardcore entrepreneur, right? This is what I do. Anybody that knows me knows this. this I dedicate my life to this craft. And the question then becomes, if, if you're going to dedicate your life to entrepreneurship, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, very quickly, you start realizing you want to make an impact. It's just not all about money. And you want to focus on areas that give you the highest leverage. Technology is the highest leverage area. I mean, I'm not a finance guy in, in that regard, so I wasn't going to go to Wall Street and start trading. So that leaves you know starting a company and entrepreneurship and, and tech entrepreneurship, which is really up my alley. So in, in, the, in the tech entrepreneurship world, you could have a really big impact and really outsized outcomes. And that was very attractive to me. Right, that makes sense. You get in, can you say how much money you lost with Bumpin? Yes. So uh, Dunning-Kruger effect was, it's, you know, this, this is a, a very powerful thing that I learned. Pretty much when you start something new, you're overconfident. And as you get more experience, <laughs> you know, your confidence dips massively and then starts leveling out as your experience gets greater. And you've seen this uh, with a lot of beginners who think they're champions, right? Although it's the white belt syndrome where you have these white belts that go around trying to fight people and they're super confident, but you know, and the black belt is that nerd, the guy who's just quiet in the corner. <laughs> so I got into the space and, and thought, because of my success, that I would be able to figure it all out very quickly. And I was wrong. And it was very, very painful. Um, not only did I have a huge opportunity cost by pivoting out of a very successful industry where I was the top, I, I, I messed up. Like, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know, I didn't even know product market fit was, let alone founder market fit. And I started building a team and investing and, and you know, just burned a lot of cash before figuring it out. I wasn't confident in my own decisions. I was relying too much on my team. It was a very dark and painful period in my life, but it also gave birth to something amazing, which is Acadium and a lot of learnings and lessons along the way. All right. We're going to get into that business, but first, let me talk about uh, my first sponsor. It's Send in Blue. They do email marketing. Let me ask you this, Mo. What, uh, what advice do you have for someone who decides to use, say, Send in Blue to handle their email marketing or any? Do you have any email marketing tips? Yeah, actually, I was just having a conversation with my team. Email marketing is the number one ROI in all of marketing. The most impactful thing you could do as a business is talk to your clients. And the most efficient way of doing this is not through social media. It's through email marketing. It's not through phone calls. I mean, it is effective and not efficient necessarily. It's a very underappreciated thing and something that actually I am going to put more attention to myself. So email marketing is a great ROI. All right. Let me introduce you to Send in Blue. It's really big in Europe, but it's now they've raised what $160 million so that they could come into North America and they're starting to do really well over here. I mean, name-wise, their software's always done well. Here's the difference between them and others. Number one, they started in Europe, which means that they have a privacy first focus, right? A lot of American companies, when they go into Europe, realize, oh, wait, they've got all these rules about privacy and what we do with people's data. And then they have to retrofit that. Send and Blue started in Europe where they know how to handle that. Number one. Number two, and you might know this, Mel. You want automation. You want someone who get who takes an action on your site to not get the same email as someone who hasn't taken an action, especially if that action is, is bought, right? We used to make that mistake in Mixergy. You make a mistake where you send the same sales pitch to somebody who just bought as someone who didn't. Well, with SendinBlue, you can automate the responses based on what people have done and send different messages based on the actions that they've taken. The other thing that SendinBlue will do is they will let you send people not just email, 
But if you think email is effective, check out what SMS, what text-based messages is doing. And imagine if you could do it both at the same time, send an email, but also maybe a small message by text saying, I want to make sure that you saw the email that I sent you or follow up on the email that I sent you yesterday. Boom. Now you've got people in the two most popular ways to connect with them, the way that they connect with their friends, family, and, uh, and uh, people they work with. And finally, and I could list all the features that make Send and Blue different, but here's the final thing that I want to leave people with. They don't do these crazy pricing schemes that a lot of other companies do. A lot of other companies will start you off for free and then boom, as soon as you do well, they charge you up the wazoo. Send and Blue says we're going to charge you nothing if you want to get started and then we'll charge you a little bit later on and we're not going to surprise you with this crazy insane pricing. We you're in the business, you are, I'm in the business. We know it doesn't cost that much to send email out. But these companies will then charge a lot because they've got you. At that point, you can't get out. And they'll even say, you know what? All the people that you don't want to email to because they haven't bought from you for a while, they haven't clicked your emails, maybe they've said that they'd rather not get more emails from you, but you want to keep them in your database so that you have information about them, a lot of email marketing companies will still charge you for that because they charge you based on how many people are in your database, not how many people you're actually sending email to. All right, that's what Send in Blue does. Ethical from the beginning by protecting your data and your users' data. All the power that you need, including automation and SMS and so many other things. And then finally, a price that you feel really comfortable with today, which is $0. I'm about to give it to everyone for $0. And in the future, when you're sending out a lot of messages. If you, Mo, your clients, and anyone who's listening to me and their clients wants to sign up for Send in Blue, do me a favor and use sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Because when you do that, you're going to get to use it for free. That's sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. All right. Mo, as a salesperson, give me the next. First of all, I think I did a pretty good job with that, right? You sold me. I'll you like you it. <laughs> I do. All right. Let's talk then about uh, Acadium. You decide, I think I know when the next thing. Why don't you go back into construction, by the way? Why do you have to go back into tech? What's that? What was the last question? Why, why'd you go back into tech instead of construction? Why didn't you say construction worked for oh, me? Let's go. Oh man, you have no idea the pressure I was getting to go back. Like I, you know, I, I'm still partners in in the Ottawa location, which alone will do 15 million this year, and my I, I was getting pressured from everyone. Like Mo, you failed. You gave it a shot. Why are you still doing this? Why are you going to do another startup after bumping failed and you lost all this money? What are you thinking? It was incredible, actually. And you have to ignore the naysayers. You know, when you have a vision and you have a long-term outlook and you believe in yourself, you have to trust yourself. And that's what I did. And, you know, we didn't just, Acadium didn't just happen. It was something that, you know, we were bringing on interns for bumping again, you know, same old technique. Yep. And my co-founder, Richard Shaw, he was actually a designer at the time for bumping. He was in some of these interviews and he would see like 200 applicants and nobody has experience. And then this person's driving two hours for an unpaid internship because they're desperate for experience. Mm -hmm. And he looks at me, he's like, well, why are we building a social media app? Mm -hmm. There's no product market fit. There's no founder fit. Why are we not solving this problem? And I said, Rich, please, this isn't our business. We have our business. Let's focus on our finding product market yep. fit for bump in and let somebody else solve this. This is education problem, not a social media problem. And I ignored him. And then we trained uh, some of these interns. We actually ended up hiring one of them. And then the other ones went launch careers. And again, we we're hiring more and he's he brought it up again. He wouldn't let it go, frankly. He just kept bringing it up. And then we ended up uh, putting a rubric together on whether this is a good idea or not and the market, something we know or don't know. Like, And it made a lot of sense, actually. It was a really big problem, a really big opportunity, something we were passionate about, something we would be proud to dedicate our lives to, right? This is was also very important because startups are hard. And, and, and when things get really, really hard, you want to look around and know you have a good team and that you're working on something that could make the world a better place, frankly. Okay. And so you said, all right, this will make the world a better place. We see it. What's the first step you took to launch it? 
Yeah. So this, I learned the lessons, <laughs> I, you know, learning is super important and, you know, talking about learning, I, I dropped out of high school and, and I taught myself out of chapters where I would go to the bookstore and that's how I got my education. So. I would just spend hours in the bookstore, hours in the library, just sitting and reading. Yes. So it, to me, it made no sense why I would be forced to learn from a teacher in school that didn't want to be there and knew very little on the subject where I could just, you know, walk over to the bookstore and pick up a book by the best author in the world who put their incredible amount of energy to summarize their life of learning. That, yep. that made a lot more sense to me. And that's what I did. And, I get that. Yeah. I, um, all right. And so you said, look, I think I could learn this. You said one of the first thing that you wanted to do was you wanted to validate this idea to see if it yes. made sense this time, instead of making the mistake from before you wanted to do that. You didn't go to my sponsor. You went to Squarespace. You created a quick landing page and you did what to test it to see if anyone cared? Yeah. So we started at the time I, I had learned about the lean startup methodology and finding product market fit, you know, very painful lessons, expensive lessons, but that's what I did. I said, you know what? We ain't building nothing. I'm not building zip. I'm not spending a dollar on this. I'm not getting anybody to even touch this. I'm going to validate this. And that's what I did. I created a landing page using Squarespace and we had no product at the time. And what I would do is I would funnel traffic from a marketing hack that I knew and that would get Which candidates was? to job boards. So I'd go to job boards. You went boards. to job boards and you said, how did you get someone who's who's looking on a job board to read your post? What did it say? And then how'd you get them over to your site? I mean, they have no experience, right? And I said, hey, you know, you're applying for this internship, but you don't have any experience. If you want to get some experience, you can go get experience here. I think I'm seeing what you did. You posted fake jobs when people applied. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're going to talk about it. And then when people applied, you said you don't have enough experience to the people who didn't have enough experience. You should go get it. By the way, go to the site. Then when they started going to the site and filling out your form, you said, I see there is enough of an interest. We now can get it. I think I'm picking up on what you did. I'm not going to push you because yeah, I'm looking at your eyes and you're not exactly going to give me what more details. Oh, it is. Okay. So you are going to be yeah. open with it. I, I appreciate that. I'll be open. It was breaking the rules, but I don't okay. think you can make anything meaningful in life without breaking some of the rules. Okay. And you can't scale this by any means because just it's not possible to scale that strategy, but it's possible to test what we tested and get some early liquidity, which is what we did. And that's what I did. So I would funnel them to this landing page and we had nothing, no product. Okay. They'd sign up. I'd say, oops, sorry, no product, but thanks for, you know, like the few minutes you spent. And then it wasn't enough, right? Cause I was burned heavy, right? Like I lost so much money and time and embarrassment that I was like, I, I gotta be sure of this. So I added a paywall where I made people pay to get experience, which is frankly a lot more like what school does. <laughs> you mm -hmm. gotta pay for them to give you some sort of training. And it also what converted and people were giving us money. And I was like, are you effing kidding me? Like, did they just give us money? I didn't have a product. But so they gave I, you money to get a job, yes. which made you see- get Experience, this, at least, a job. A jo experience. Right, experience. <laughs> right. And so what you're starting to see is there is some money in here. You don't want to charge the people who are getting this experience. Ideally, you want to charge the businesses that have more money. But now there's at least some potential revenue. There's demand, you do to, huge demand. What you what you do to test the other side of that space? The other side of the space was challenging at first because it's hard to talk to businesses. It's, it's a very like kind of wishy washy at the time. We didn't have anything built. Now we have like rules and regulations and tools and processes and there's a level of trust and people understand the exchange of value and it's, and it's regulated. But back then it was, it was quite challenging and it took a few shots. You know, I called businesses I knew that didn't really work very well, but what did work was Facebook groups. So we had one side of the marketplace, the candidate side or our, our apprentices, and we got them from job boards when we built an entire marketing curriculum where they could learn digital marketing 
It's like a one-player mode. They can come to Acadium, they can get value in a one-player mode in our free courses that we offer. Okay. So that kept them appeased while we build the other side of the marketplace, okay. which is the small business side. And for that, I would use Facebook groups. I would okay. go in the Facebook groups. I would post. I had a whole funnel. And I sold personally the first 300 businesses of Acadium, or actually, yeah, at the time. And um, it was called Gen it, M, I think, is why it was called Gen M at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why, why M? Generation Mobile? Um, millennials, actually. Oh, okay. So they're the shafted generation. And actually, no, this generation is even more shafted with COVID and everything else going on. But they, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to get into the problems with education and the lack of transparency, the crappy outcomes the debt i could go into like such an such a spiral on how bad it is and then how do i make sure to keep my kids out of it um when the system i'm seeing is just so good at pulling you in you know yeah so don't get me wrong not all of the post-secondaries is 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 terrible um some of it's really good like you know the ivy league schools are good stem is good where the big problems are 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 what i call junk degrees and these are degrees like psychology like communications like business admin that i would even go before that i'd go earlier how many things did we not remember from high school because it's just not practical to us because they didn't Mm -hmm. care about what you specifically wanted any more than they cared in the cafeteria about what was healthy for you and what you specifically decided that you would eat and what would be good for your body right it's the same thing. And I could go back and give you countless courses that I was forced to take that suck. All right, but I can't, I can't get into that rabbit hole because um, I already went into a different <laughs> rabbit hole, which is your past. And I want to go a little bit even more into your past later on. And to earn that right, I have to stay focused on the business. So let me see if I understand. The Facebook groups were business groups. You found a way to talk to people and then get them in a funnel. What did you say to Correct. start them off? And then how did you get them to follow up with you? I've seen people try so, this. It's it's not as easy as it sounds. No, but I had a really good funnel. And this is my core competency too, right? Yeah, so, talk to me. What did I, you say? Walk me through the whole thing. The objective is to get them to the next step. And ultimately, the next step is, is, is to get them on the phone. Because when you have them on the phone, you can have a conversation. And sales and marketing is really about having a conversation. And so how do you get them on the phone is the question, right? So the first thing you'd go is you'd find your, uh, your audience. And in our case, it was small business owners. I knew it was small business owners because this is who I was. And I am the, I'm the user of the product. And so we would go into these Facebook groups of small business owners. And then I had a posting and it was our student marketers can help market your business unpaid as part of their training. Now this attracted both good and bad businesses. And we've obviously changed the message. Were you able to just go and post those ads essentially in the groups? Well, some groups that they would take them down and, but to be the amount of attention those posts got, Mm -hmm. it it was, they were, I, I would have a thousand comments on some of those posts, a thousand businesses saying, I'm interested. I'm interested. And I'm a straight interested. up ad. You weren't even doing anything that was like, um, I will teach you how I've hired interns and you'll be able to go to schools and get interns. No, it was straight up. We've got them. Do you want them? Exactly. And people, okay. All right. Interesting. All right. And so you did that and then they'd get on a call with you and you would start to understand what, what did you learn from those phone calls? And then from the phone calls, it's, what are you looking for? Uh, you know, what are your marketing needs? This is how the product works. Are you interested? I would actually close a quarter of my calls in the first call. Okay. So how, how much were you charging on then? that call? They were char- And we've tried a bunch of different things before that. It didn't work, by the way. So I'm giving you when we started finding. You, you know what? Product. Then take me back a little bit. When you didn't, what was not working for you? I want to learn the whole thing. So we, we used to charge businesses a lot more money and um, didn't vet the students. So what ended up happening is when businesses pay too much money, they start expecting more from their apprentice. And it, tra- it changes from an educational uh, relationship to a contractor relationship. Yep. So we said, we, we got to be careful on the price point because it's got to be affordable and it's got a, this business has a skin in the game and we got to make money out of this, but not so much where 
they look at the apprentice as a contractor that they paid for. That was that was a big learning lesson there. And then we also had a variation where they'd pay us and there was like a, a, a middleman that helped them manage the apprentice. That didn't work out very well. It was because? too complicated. It was just too complicated. They would, they would, they were, they thought they were buying digital marketing services at that point from us. Uh, right? And all and you like, want to no, no, do no, is say, we're going to introduce you and make sure you take care of each other, but we're not going to be in the middle. What about this whole coins thing or credit thing that you were offering at one point? Yeah. So, and then we offered a subscription model, uh, which worked out well, but had some problems with it. Mostly the problems were around expectations, frankly. We just were not super clear to members that they're signing up for a subscription. So we decided to roll out credits. But credits also was not so great because you had businesses that were not necessarily committing to the platform and to the apprenticeship. So it was all of these, we've tried probably a dozen different revenue models to mm -hmm. land finally on a variation of the subscription model where it's an all-you-can-eat buffet for uh, $3.99 a quarter or $1,200 for the year. And, and what they're doing is just paying access to this, to this marketplace. Correct. You know what? I'm seeing that as a model that's working a lot more today than it it, it couldn't have been possible before. I think a great example of that is MicroAcquire. I think Andrew, who runs that site, um, he lets people get access to his to his marketplace of basically SaaS companies that you could buy. You just have to pay a monthly fee in order to get that. And it makes sense. If you're going to buy a business, you might as well pay what? I don't know what he charged, a hundred bucks or something. This yeah, very it, similar. It does make a lot. I mean, it's all about the value you're getting, right? So in our case, if you pay, you know, 400 bucks for the quarter and you get one apprentice or more, an apprenticeship is 120 hours of help. Yeah, and, and so that comes with that. access to the to the to basically a board where you can see the people who are available and then message them and talk to them and potentially hire them. Correct. Now we also have tools like one-click labor contracts to make it really easy to onboard an apprentice. We have ratings and reviews where you can give structured reviews to your apprentice and rate the work that they're doing. Uh -huh. We have certifications that you're able to send to your apprentice upon successfully completing their apprenticeship. We have an apprenticeship advisor that's av available to you throughout the apprenticeship to make sure that both the apprentice and the business are having a good experience. So we we built a regulate, we took this like gray, kind of like half illegal thing called unpaid internships, and we made it transparent, we made it fair, and we regulated it, and we made it accessible to more people. Okay, who built the site? What did you build it on? Uh, JavaScript is what the mm -hmm. site's built on. We recently moved to using something called Capacitor, which mimics our, our for our mobile app, which okay. mimics our web app. I have a really amazing technical co-founder and product co-founder who I, I definitely couldn't have built this without them. Um, so just blessed to have. No, you don't mean JavaScript. Do you mean? Let me. I guess you. Who who did the site? It's who your built the site. Your co-founder. My co-founder. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And your own internal team that did it. Yep. Okay. We built it. By the way, why did you decide that you were going to to focus on marketing? And I assume that you're expanded that you'd expanded beyond market uh, marketing services. Why marketing only? Well, I mean, marketing. We'll, we'll, we'll talk the why of the marketing. Every small business owner needs to do digital marketing, or at least the majority of them do. That's so. Right away, you're going to have massive liquidity on one side of the marketplace. So, if you did go to other categories, you have a big base to work from. And then on the flip side of that, schools are absolutely terrible at teaching digital marketing. It changes too quickly, and you need to do on-the-job training to really figure out what's happening in the, in the digital marketing world. So you got to do hands-on work to know digital marketing. It's not a theoretical thing. You're not going to learn what Coca-Cola did in the 1980s to become a good digital marketing in 2021. So nobody coming out of school is prepared for the job market without doing multiple internships. And we saw that as an opportunity on both sides of the marketplace. It's also something we knew very well right? And it's also something where businesses who are online, you can also market to them online. So it hit all these boxes. 
And, you know, when we eventually do go to multiple categories, which is not in the near term, but it is something we will eventually do, um, we'll have liquidity on one side of the marketplace where we can start offering them multiple apprentices outside of digital marketing. Hey, small business owners, would you like a design apprentice, for example, or another type of apprentice who's also looking to launch a career and wants that work experience and wants the mentorship that you provide for them? Okay. I, I see how that worked. You told our producer, you and your co-founder would sit in this tiny room four days from eight, eight in the morning to seven at night. You're an early riser? I am. You are. And so from eight yeah. in the morning till seven at night, you just keep iterating. And it seems to me like a lot of it was you iterating by talking on the phone and pitching people, seeing what worked and then telling him, Hey, you know what? I just sold this. Do you think we could build it? Correct. And to be, and it's funny because a lot of what we learned then, we, we, we you start second guessing yourself sometimes when you hire more people and they have different opinions and they didn't go through the early uh, journey with you and you start kind of backtracking. So we actually backtracked at a certain point in the company only to realize that, you know, those early conversations, like those customers, like it, it's all truth. It's all, it's, it's what is gospel for an entrepreneur. All right. Let me take a moment to talk about my second sponsor. It's a company called HostGator where anyone Mo can go and get their website hosted like that. Let me ask you this, Mo. Do you think that there's room for someone to take your idea, put a little tweak on it, and then launch that version on a HostGator uh, website? Like, I'm, just, I'm trying to think of what's the tweak that would be far enough away from your business that you'd feel comfortable talking about it. Um, but do you think that there's places to do that? Like the founder of LeafLink who sells, who's got a marketplace to uh, enable basically weed stores to buy all the supplies that they need for their stores. He said he thinks that that would work for just about any other business to business product. He said, go down the street, essentially look at all the stores that are there. Every one of them could use a marketplace like LeafLink for their space, including the coffee shop that might want the right coffee gear. What, what do you think? Is there a place for someone to do a business like yours? I mean, marketplaces are very, 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 very hard businesses and they take a long time to build and you really got to understand the nuances of the marketplace. Um, could they do this in another space? I know like Lambda has something called a fellow program, which is very much like our... But they do a lot of training first before they do that. They do training first. Yeah. So, you know, our courses are free. There's a lot heavier. And so they, they do definitely more training first um, for that one. It's harder, right? You have to find something that a person could be trained for quickly and then maybe spend the rest of their lives mastering, right? I mean, graphic design is an obvious one, you know? Graphic but design something... within reason is, maybe social media is within reason. Um, it's things like that that we're talking about. It's it's tough. You did pick a really good space to do it in. Yeah, yeah. We will be, you know, ex working with other categories as well and experimenting with them. And I, I imagine that maybe it's exactly the same model. You might need to do some small I changes. Got it. I got it. I got it, Mo. Tell me what you think of this. How many online schools are popping up right now, right? Tons of them. What I tend to do is I will, if I'm looking to hire someone, I'll go to the online school teacher like, and ask if I could hire one of their best graduates, right? So if there's someone who's teaching copywriting, they might have one person who's especially good. I just reach out to the teacher and say, who's this person who knows your model especially well? I'll hire them because I know it's also going to be a great case study for the person. And so they'll work with my with, uh, with the person I hire. Now I hire and pay them. Imagine if all these courses, Mo, also had an apprenticeship at the end. So it's not like, look, I'm going to teach you copywriting and then go out and do it on your own. I'm going to teach you copywriting and I'll help build up your portfolio by getting you an apprentice apprenticeship. And the beauty of that is you then go to Neville Medoro, who's got this copywriting course and say, Neville, I'll create this apprenticeship model for your site. Every time you get a new, a new student who graduates, now you're helping them also get uh, an apprenticeship. And you go to other programs that also teach. And now you don't have to do the marketing yourself you have them essentially doing the marketing and you have them with an incentive to list on their website that they could hire their graduates because it it, um, it shows their graduates that they could help them get jobs. 
What do you think of that? Now you got both sides I, of the marketplace. I think that's that's exactly you just you hit it on the head. We actually have partnerships with Quantic, who's an MBA program, online MBA program, mm-hmm. Stukent, who's the largest digital marketing course provider in North America, and Southern New Hampshire University as well. Um, Seth Himes, who's an influencer who teaches marketing. So you're, you nailed it. It's we will take care of the work experience. Yeah, we're going to do it for you. The, it, yeah. you, all you have to do is have the subdomain, which a subdomain could be apprentice.copywritingcourse.com, apprentice.whatever. And then you could hire the apprentice. And then it also could become a job board. In fact, I wouldn't even call it apprentice. I would create it something something else like course, so that eventually it could go beyond the apprenticeship so that maybe some people want to get an apprenticeship. Maybe some people want to list themselves. All right, let me let me stop that. This is an ad for HostGator here. <laughs> this is a killer freaking ad though. Here's the deal. <sighs> Whether you take that idea or anything else, if you're listening to me, you need a website hosted for your ideas. The beauty about, about HostGator is they've got lots of platforms that you can install like that. I recommend you start with WordPress because WordPress will have these marketplaces. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not going to be your ultimate solution, but it's going to be your fast, let's get started solution. You'll be able to go and test this out with, with customers, and then you could develop your own thing. When you need a website hosted, whether it's that idea or anything else, go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. They'll make it super easy. And if you throw that slash Mixergy at the end, which I'm telling you to do, you'll be giving me credit. Let's be honest. That's going to help me with my sponsor. But number two, you're going to get the lowest possible price from HostGator. It's again, here's that URL, hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Oof. All right. By the way, let me let me go back in time a little bit. You were a refugee from which country? And what was your childhood like? Uh, my family emigrated here from Lebanon. Lebanon. And, and so Canada is pretty big about taking in refugees. What was going on in Lebanon at the time? There's a war happening. It was, uh, you know, it's, it's it's pretty bad now. It was definitely bad then. And there's just no opportunity to progress. Like there was a war. There's no jobs. People were starving. It was it was it was it was a nasty place to be at the time. You didn't speak English. You were overweight. You're super fit now. I could see your triceps. By the way, it's so awkward that I'm noticing this stuff. But I could see you're super fit. How'd you go from being? What what was it like when you were when you were an overweight kid? By the way. I, you know, I would skip gym class to go to Burger King across the street and get a chicken sandwich with large fries and a large Coke. And I would do this every day. Would you hate yourself for doing that? I didn't even know I was overweight until somebody Uh called me a a whale. And I was like, what do you mean? I, I, I didn't, it just never really registered in my head. And then that was kind of a bit of a wake up call, but Mm. it wasn't what really triggered me to get into fit. That was another whole story. Honestly, I got beat up and dumped in like a span of 24 hours. And I just told myself, I'm never going to put myself in that position. When was this? In In high school? school. High school. You really went to a rough high school. It's cool. I would see him every day. And he just jumped me with a bunch of his friends and I got to see him. And the girl saw me got the guy I was dating, she she saw me get beat up and dumped me the next day. And I was just like, I didn't, I didn't care anymore. I was like, this is not going to be a thing. And so that's when you decided I'm going to get really serious about it. Exactly. And what did you do to actually make it work? You know, it's all, you got to want it, number one, and it's discipline. So I would, I modeled Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger was an idol of mine growing up. I, you know, my father was always working. I didn't really see him too often. He was, you know, uh, he was a tiler, uh, a handyman, and, you know, making essentially minimum wage to support a family of seven. So I didn't get to see him very often. Like he would come home when I'm sleeping and he would leave before I wake up. And so we were raised by our mom. And so as a father figure, by the way, I'm very close to them now. Um, You know, I support my my, my parents right now, but back then it it just wasn't possible. And I I would turn to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I thought was an example of a great masculine man. And that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to How would you connect with that? How, how did you that? connect with him? How did you connect? Sorry, I get so bad at interrupting. How did you connect with him? Was it reading his books? Was it watching that pumping iron everything. video? What was it? Everything. everything. Oh, yeah. God, I knew everything take, about the man. Just suck it in. And then he became a voice in your head. 
Like Correct. when you were struggling to get that last rep, you'd remember him saying, no, it's the last rep that matters or something, right? Or talk two more, two more, two more. You That's it. Man, two more. In your head. <laughs> yeah. Him and Franco Colombo and the whole crew. Yeah. And I do that still, but with more mentors. Real mentors or do you do these virtual Both. mentors? Both. Both. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's so much content these days that you could actually pick up mentors and never really meet them. I find actually that the people who I don't, well, no, it's both. They get stuck in your head. Who's someone who's virtual, who's stuck in your head? Like when I'm training? Or in day-to-day, like these virtual. I feel like um, Gary Vaynerchuk is that type of person, right? (laughs) Because he talks so much because he has such a sharp point of view. His voice gets, it got in my head, where I would be like channeling his 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 answers to, and his direction to life. And and you realize what the hell, where's this coming from? It's from listening to him. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. Who else? Who else is in your head like that? Honestly, right now I'm reading the Dune Chronicles, the science fiction book Dune. And there's just, there's a few characters in there that are just really well done character. They don't have to be real, right? Yep everything is really made up in your mind anyways. So there's some characters that are just great human beings that are incredibly intelligent, incredibly athletic and dangerous and just, just such impressive superhumans, frankly. And I'm just like, I see them and I imagine mm. them when, when I want to progress. You know, when I read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, he talked about that. He said that he would actively sit down and in his mind, just imagine having like a board meeting with different people. And then uh, Abraham Lincoln would always show up late and like they all had personalities <laughs> in his head. And I thought this is the most schizophrenic mental thing to to recommend to people. And you should be embarrassed that you talked about this openly. Go expunge it from the book. But then I realized there were people in my everyday lives, like life, like cousins, uncles, aunts who yap so much that in my head, I'm yapping against them and I'm not reacting to what I want out of life. I'm reacting and they, I'll show them. And it's, it's not like better or worse than what I'd want to do. It's completely different from what I'd want to do. And he helped me realize these voices are there or these influences, let's say, are there for some people, maybe images or whatever. We should just curate them the way you do. Yeah, I am. So there, there are some techniques you could use for that. And Tell me. They're, they're, the mental model is you're the average of the five closest people to you, right? But what's super important is what you put your mind on because your mind looks for, it's like an, there's an, a, a, something called the, the after image effect, where if you see something like, you know, you say you bought a pair of red Nike shoes, you start seeing red Nike shoes everywhere. Not that there's more red Nike shoes. It's your mind is so it's now looks for that pattern match based on what you interacted with recently. So if you and the key here is vision, it's what you put your eyes on is the most important thing, right? Because it's what you imagine, your visualization. So if you're very careful in what you look at, and obviously audio is a big one too, but vision occupies most of our uh, the processing in our brain. I like so much processing is dedicated to vision. It's the number one sense by a huge margin too. 70% of our brain is dedicated to processing visual information. So be careful what you look at. And this is like your friends around you, their behavior, how they act, what they say. You're going to absorb that and that's going to be the patterns that you match. So if you're careful about that, and I actually am careful not to see some of my friends that I really, really want to see, but I know I'm going to take on characteristics that I don't want, right? And then I prefer to read about these amazing characters that I want to emulate and they stick in my head. And that pattern is what I end up matching. I think that makes a lot of sense. I I think for me, it might be more audio than visual that way. And largely it's audio, right? So like, you know, it depends on the person. But you're right. And so if I'm listening to a podcast about someone where it's, um, where they're showing how bad someone is, there's this sense of like, I don't know, disappointment in the world and looking out for more examples. And then it it comes to me or in my head, I imagine myself being the hero who's going to find another sham, just like this reporter who's doing a six part series for Gimlet or whoever, right? Versus if I listen to uh, a, 
a podcast or an audio book where someone is building something and finding opportunities like you did, like, right. How many people are going to listen to this and go, this is amazing how he, yes, he kind of worked the system, but I like that. And let me see what Mo would do if he was in my situation. Right. That is, that brings out the best in me and it doesn't necessarily have to be work-related. It starts to travel into every part of my life. How do I find a better way to run a marathon or how do I find a better way to travel somewhere that I want to go to? What would Mo do if he had this, if he had this obstacle where he can't find an Airbnb in the city he wants to go into? Ah, he'd probably do this. And then I come up with something that's different. That's the way that I get influenced. Yeah, exactly. And right now it's speaking of specific for me, uh, I'm trying to work on my jump shot. Okay. Basketball. Uh-huh. So I'm channeling Michael Jordan, I'm channeling Kobe, you know, the Black Mamba, and just, you know, you imagine him by himself taking those shots, rep after rep, rep after rep, and you're like, well, I, I got to do a couple more reps, you know, like, yeah. I'm not trying to be the best, but I'm trying to be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to watch the World's Strongest Man competition, even though I'm not into lifting weights, because you would see how they struggled towards the end of moving the whatever, the refrigerator to, to the finish line. And you go, no, you just a little bit more. Come on, don't let go. And if I'm saying to them, don't let go, how do I say to myself, I'm going to let this go because it's too hard. All right. Um, I have one other thing that I want to ask you about. To make sure that there aren't jerks on either side of the platform, what do you do? What do you make? What do you do to make sure that the company actually is there to be supportive and helpful? What do you make sure? What do you do to make sure that the that the apprentice is actually there and doing what they need to do? What's the process there? This is the most important thing about our business: is to ensure that people come in with the right intentions and then conduct themselves according to our code of conduct and the seven virtues of Acadian. And so the upfront we vet them. So let's just say we, you know, they got through our vetting somehow, which, you know, we even assigned them an ICP score, an, an ideal client profile score. They're given a score to, to, to even take that one step further. And let's just say they get through and they manage to start an apprenticeship. Well, if that apprenticeship is not going well, it's super easy for the apprentice to cancel. And when they cancel, they have to tell us why they canceled and they can specify this business is not providing us mentorship. Every week, the apprentice rates the mentorship they're getting from their mentor. And so we, we have ratings and reviews. If there's a low rating, we our, our team looks into it. We also have uh, apprenticeship advisors that touch base once a month during the apprenticeship just to check in. Hey, how you doing? You know, is everything going well? Is there anything you need? Is are you getting the right kind of mentorship from your apprentice? So there's there's all these checkpoints and and these ratings and reviews that are along the way to ensure that if somehow somebody got past our vetting, they're certainly not going to get past every single checkpoint where, you know, we don't allow bad businesses to stay in the marketplace. We don't want their money. (laughs) We don't want that. We want to build an amazing community of businesses who can provide on-the-job training to candidates around the world. And if we can enable that, then we've created a system that allows anybody the opportunity to launch a career for free, regardless of their socioeconomic status. And that is a game changer. And that is... A game changer, you keep saying, and you keep talking about no matter where they are, because who who are you trying to give these apprenticeships to? Is it somebody in like a third world country that has a computer determination, but not opportunities? I mean, let's let's be clear here. If you're wealthy and you're privileged, this isn't the problem for you, right? Like you're mm. not going to have trouble launching a career. It's the underprivileged that are having this problem. And this gap is getting wider, especially with today's economic conditions. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. And the key driver of this is education. Unfortunately, education is not working. Not only do the poor not have access to good education, even if they do have access, the outcomes are terrible. So how do you bridge this divide that's destroying the underprivileged, that they're not able to get economic mobility? You have to give them job training. You have to give them an opportunity to launch a career and earn meaningful income. How do you give millions of people around the world access to job training And you have to make it affordable, in our case, free, 
and they have to be able to do with the internet connection. Well, if you are able, in our case, what we, we see two worlds, one world where education, job training is controlled by centralized institutions, these ivory towers that are accessible to a very small subset of people. And the world that we're creating, job training is decentralized. It's available to anyone with the internet connection. And we do this, we enable this by giving job training into the hands of small business owners in exchange for help. They provide mentorship and these candidates get training they wouldn't otherwise have access to. And I can show you many life-changing instances. All right. Are they on your site? They are on our site. Yeah. Where? Can, I'm going I'll, to the I'll blog give you one right example. now. I'll yeah, tell you me. a story. Kaylee, Kaylee Shearing. She was a sound technician out of Toronto and she had a passion for content writing so she would write content and then eventually she decided i want to be a content writer and she got crushed with covid you know sound technician events weren't really happening at the time so she said maybe i should look into this content writing thing and her options were go to school she couldn't really afford that so she started doing some online courses but they weren't really helping her launch a career they're just giving her some theoretical knowledge and she stumbled upon acadium where she ended up finding an apprenticeship with a, an agency and an amazing mentor. She did such a good job in that apprenticeship, the agency hired her. And now, just to be clear, she went from being a sound technician and within six months, she became a content writer having a full-time job. Fast forward a year, she's now director of marketing for the agency's Canadian operations. She's making more than two times the income she was as a sound technician. She did this for free. She did this on her own time. It was life-changing for her. And she's just one example. All right. And I see you've got others on your site. I'm in the blog section and there's a section called success stories. I see Kaylee is uh, featured right up there, but so are so many others. Acadia. I love it. It's amazing. It's so like, you know, when things get hard and, and you talk to somebody like that and like, like oh, that's right. That, that's, that's why we're doing this. That's the why. That's the why. You know, that's why we wake up and come to work. You know, this isn't a job. It's not a career. It's a calling. It's something that I'm proud to come to work to every day and contribute to. I get that feeling. I think my dad used to have a store where he sold clothes to people who he didn't understand at all. Like he, they, he didn't understand the hip hop references they had. He didn't understand the musicians that they were into. He didn't understand any of it. And he could understand like buying low and selling high, but that's not enough juice to connect with your customer day to day to even be able to communicate with them. And I remember standing there saying, I actually like that community more than he did, but even for me, I didn't like any part of it. And I said, I want to find a work where I care about the people I sell to, where I understand the people I sell with. The whole thing has to has to matter. And it's it's a privilege to be able to do it. And I'm glad that I get to do it. And I'm glad that you get to do it. Why is, what does Acadium mean? Acadium is a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a coin term, so it doesn't actually have a specific meaning. Uh, there is a reference to the Garden of uh, Plato where he would teach. Uh, so there's a reference of Acadium. But it's your own uh, word kind of picking up on that vibe. It sounds a little bit like academic. It sounds, yeah. it, I see it. I actually looked it up to see if I could figure out what the word was. And now I understand why I couldn't. All right. So it's acadium.com. And I'd love to hear from anyone out there who ends up working with them on either side of this uh, uh, situation and just see how it goes for them. I might do this myself. All right. Thank you so much for being in here. And I want to thank the sponsors who made this interview happen. You've heard me talk about the mo. My ads are getting better. I think, you know what? I think I hit on a model here with the ads. Number one, I always include my guests in the ad read. Number two, to like talk through a business idea, not just talk through the features of the software. All right, so we talked about HostGator. If you wanna sign up for HostGator people, you should go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And we talked about the power of email marketing and I'm actually gonna add email and SMS and other uh, marketing automation tools. You could use those at SendInBlue, the European company that'll treat you right. And if you go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy, you'll get it for free probably hate that I said the European company because they want to know be known as international. They raised $160 million to go international. <laughs> they're still fan freaking tastic and they're over here. And I'm, I'm glad that they're sponsoring. Thanks, Mo.
Thank you so much.